So this morning we are talking about love, and the few verses that Aram read, I want to read once again, they say this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We are in a season where we celebrate these different things that we're talking about uh, each week. We celebrate joy, peace, hope, and love. And our understanding of how that works is this is the season when we show those things the most. It's the season of these things, and so that's what you do. You wake up in the morning and you say, this is going to be a day when the the answer to the problem uh, is going to be hope and peace and love, if for no other reason, because isn't this the season of those very things? But that's not exactly why we talk about something like love in a month like December, or joy, or peace, or hope. And I think with, with all of these that we've talked about each week, uh, nowhere is this clearer than with the idea of love itself. The, uh, every culture, every group of people has got all kinds of different words that we use for loving things. And like we've been talking about the last several weeks, uh, the authors of the Old and New Testament, as they were writing these down in original languages, uh, looking at the words they used, especially words like this that are used so often, tells us a lot about what they meant and what people understood those things to mean and, and how big of a deal they were and how uh, saying, uh, I love uh, my wife, uh, might be a little bit different from I love pizza, um, depending on, on who you talk to. That person might be like, no, they're exactly the same, and that's kind of messed up because you, weigh, you love pizza way too much or you love your wife way too little, probably Probably both. Um, but, but when we say things like, I love pizza and I love my wife, I'm saying something that we all know I don't mean uh, in the way that it sounds literally. Uh, because we, uh, we mean different things in this one word, love. And so when we talk about love in the Bible, we, we often will point out that there are different words that are being used. But when we talk about the word love that we read in this passage, the one that is prevalent throughout the New Testament and is almost totally used by Jesus in his Gospels more than any other word for love, um, we talk about something that is very specific. We talk about a love that comes from this word agape. You have to be pretty new to the church to not have heard the agape talk, okay? So, like, if you are new, then this is a good thing to hear right now, and if you're not, then uh, good news. We're not going to go in too much to all of the things that agape means, um, because, uh, needless to say, when you're talking about Christian love, you're talking about agape. If you were to Google the word agape, no That's not what we do, okay, when we're writing these sermons, okay? I'm not saying if you were to Google agape, that would be me writing a sermon. No, that's not what I'm saying. But let's just say I did that, 
this week because I was busy. And um, uh, you would actually, if you went to the Wikipedia uh, page and you looked up agape, it, it is a definition, not really of a word um, that is just out of the Greek language. It's actually a Christian concept. It's kind of like a word that we use so much that we kind of we get to have that word, sort of. And there's a reason for that, and that's because when the authors of the New Testament were, um, were uh, well, translators especially, but, but as, as, as the New Testament authors were uh, writing down and describing the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the teachings of God, the things the Holy Spirit inspired in them, as, as they're using language to communicate these things, um, they're using this word agape, but they're actually filling it up with meaning, um, simply based on the things that Jesus does. Basically, this word started out as one thing, and then after Jesus, it meant something different because it's the word we use when we talk about Jesus loving. So what that means is that when we open up the New Testament and we read this word love, and it talks about love, a word that we use so widely and so often, and so many people would say they absolutely, fundamentally believe in love and possess love and show love and live their lives by love, even if they don't believe in God at all, that what we read about when we see this word in the New Testament is we are reading about agape love, which is a love that has been completely redefined based on Jesus himself. The best way to put it is this. Agape, love, as they were describing his ministry and writing it down, Jesus' followers looked to the teachings and life of Jesus, looked to his teachings and life to redefine their very concept of love itself. So they actually looked to what Jesus did and said, this completely redefines the way we think of loving someone, the way we think of, of being in love and having love and being a loving person. He hasn't just added to it a little bit. He hasn't clarified it just a little bit. He has so completely redefined it by being so radically different and yet so clearly loving himself as a person that, that, that because of that, uh, there was a completely different definition of it, and it is this idea of agape love. Agape is essentially what it is to, it is essentially the highest form of, of love that there is. When I talk about the agape talk, I'm talking about the fact that there's these different types of love that are mentioned in the Bible, but there's one that is kind of the biggest, it's the best, it's the ultimate. It is the God love, it is the love that is from God, it is the love that he expects his followers to show to one another, it is love that is the evidence of being a believer and a follower of Jesus, and that love is agape, and that love kind of beats all the other ones out because of how big and epic and all-encompassing it is, and how completely uh, it is a redefinition of what it is that we consider to be love. We read in 1 John, in this passage that we looked at for Advent this morning, John says, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us agape one another. Let us be this way towards one another, this, this thing, this kind of love that Jesus himself showed to be so much bigger than we ever thought love could be. 
shown to people who did not deserve it in our eyes, shown mostly in circumstances and situations where people couldn't return the love to him. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is such a well-known verse in the Bible, and it tells us something that is so vitally important if we're going to understand what agape is, what this love really is. When we talk about love this morning and we talk about this month even in which we think about it more than other times of the year maybe, when we talk about this agape love, the love that exists because of Jesus and because of what he did in coming into this earth and this world, we're talking about a love that can only be found in God. This love comes from one source, and that source is God himself. When we, uh, when we spoke, uh, we did a whole series on love in 1 Corinthians 13 a few months ago, and when we talked about that, one of the things that we said at the end of our series was, make no mistake, this is not how to be loving on your own. If you do all these different things we've outlined every week, you are a person who now has love. You can make love exist in your life by acting a certain way, being a certain way. No, because what we said was that God himself is, and we described it as the headwaters of this love. Much like some rivers sort of spring up out of nowhere from underground, from these headwaters, and then they just begin This is how agape love works. You only get it in one place, and it is from God the Father himself. And if you're not getting it from him, if he's not the source of love to you, if you're not finding love in him, if you're not living in him and drawing love from him, then you do not have agape love, and you cannot give it. You cannot live it. You cannot experience it. We read in 1 John, love is from God, comes from God. This kind of love can only be found in God. Now this is huge, but it's also uh, pretty basic, and I don't want to overcomplicate it. Uh, We cannot ultimately become loving people, be filled with love by relationships with others, by working hard, by serving others. We cannot gain love by doing those things. There is no person on this planet who will be able to fill up this void in your heart that needs and lives off of this agape love. Because agape love can only be found in God. One of the, um, I remember being at a memorial service for a really, really close friend of mine who was 27 years old and uh, fell asleep at the wheel and was in a tragic car accident and passed away uh, the day after we had, we had just had lunch uh, last. And... Um, and we were meeting once a week, and we were going through some discipleship stuff and talking about um, it was his first year of marriage, and so we were talking about that. And then I got the news that he had died so suddenly, so senselessly. And I will never forget the pastor at that service who stood up and said there are these three letters, and these three letters are the, are the, are the, 
they spell out the, the greatest question that there ever has been, and they are the hardest three letters that we ever will know of, and they are the letters that spell out the word why. And I remember he said that at this funeral, and, and he, said, he said, that is the question that plagues us. Why? Right? He said, in a day like this, in a moment like this, when something so senseless happens, we cannot help but ask the question, why? But this question, why, is much bigger than just why when something bad happens that we don't understand. That question, why, is the fundamental question at the base of all of us. Why? Why, is the, why am I even here? Why is any of this here? Why, uh, if, you be, if I believe that God is real, why then still me and all of this here? Why, if we're so small and the universe is so big, why? And the Bible is unashamed in its bold declaration that the answer to that question is not a complex one. The answer to the question of why is that God is love. That God himself is love. Now, if you're like a science, no, no, no I'll say this. Um, I know a lot of people who are kind of more scientifically minded people who are infuriated by this response. Although I will also say that some of the most scientifically minded people that I know see the satisfaction of this response and the fact that you cannot ultimately answer the question like why simply by looking at forces of nature. By, by empirical evidence and testing and reproducing things in labs and, and trying to base knowledge on other knowledge that's been gained. No, because the answer to the question of why is simple. Ours is a God who loves, and because of that, all that he has done, he has done out of love. That's it. If you ever wonder, like, about why, we, we know that God is love. We know that God loves and love comes from God. And that ultimately, this is at the core of his creation. Why did he make us? Why do we exist? Because God loves. He is relational. And because he wants to be loved in return. Not because he's incomplete. In fact, the love that God gives us, God is the only one who will ever love you without needing something back from you. So everyone else who will ever love you, sorry to break this news to you. I know so far that's kind of a downer for a message on love, right? Sorry to break it to you on this season of joy and warmth. But, uh, but, but the way that we love each other is unfortunately uh, not as, as, as pure as God's love for us because he doesn't need us. He doesn't need you or me. And so he loves us freely. Love ultimately comes from him. And if you don't know him and he is not able to be the source, then whatever you experience in life that you feel is love, that you believe to be love, you have, I'm sure, I don't even have to convince you, you have, I'm sure, come to see already how it is not a perfect love. It is an incomplete love. Because only the only true source of that is God. Now, because of that, it changes the way that we look at it in a month like this. It changes the way that we talk about love in a month like this because we have a very uh, human-centered uh, way of talking about these things like peace and hope and joy and love in a month like this. In fact, the very things that we would say we reflect on, we have a tendency in our culture to reflect on these things for the wrong reasons in a month like this. 
And so the only way to actually paint the right picture of love is to basically uh, demolish one of the most like foundational things that we would say we, we try to build a month like December on and a holiday like Christmas. So, sorry everybody, I'm going to break one down for you. I'm going I'm to ruin a traditional basic understanding of the Christmas holiday for all of you. And, uh, and I know, I know that you won't be happy because if there's one thing that we don't like, it is when things that we hold highly, we, we, we value highly, we become accustomed to and used to are changed, right? I'm going to give you guys an example. Um, I was reading this morning in the news about um, a nativity scene in the Vatican. Has anyone read about this? This is very, very interesting. So uh, every year in the Vatican, they feature a nativity scene, and it's a really big deal, and a lot goes into it. Well, I was reading it this year uh, in, in I, I think, this morning's uh, Mass. Uh, the Pope himself kind of like recommended that people go look at the many other nativity scenes um, in the area, basically, which was like his way of saying, yeah, don't look at ours. I'm not very proud of it either, right? Well, that's crazy, right? Well, this is what it looks like. And um, this is the, the Vatican's nativity scene this year. They wanted to go a little bit modern. They wanted to go a little bit abstract. I'm going to read you something from an article on this. The three, a couple stood in front of the Vatican's new Christmas nativity scene in St. Peter's Square trying to understand exactly what they were looking at. The three wise men, life-size and cylindrical, looked as if constructed from ceramic oil drums. Joseph and Mary, likewise torpedo-shaped, seemed like enormous Bible-themed weebles. Two enigmatic totem figures stood in the middle of the platform. One held a shield and a decorative spear and had for a head what appeared to be an overturned cauldron, carved like an angry Halloween jack-o'-lantern. The other wore an astronaut's helmet and held the cratered moon in its hands. That one there, Giorgio Bianti, 71, asked his wife Anita as they gazed at the figures on Wednesday morning. She shrugged and read the informational poster. First landing on the moon. The person goes on in this article to describe how people have not been very pleased with this nativity scene and the fact that it is in no way close to the traditional nativity scene that we understand. It's hideous, says Miss Bianti, uh, Mrs. Bianti, who looked at the ceramic menagerie of animals, chicks that looked like fallen meteorites, a camel made of ceramic cubes with horror. Why do they have that one with horns, she asked. What is that? Is that a turkey? The critique has been amplified by many who are conservative and in the press who are saying that this is a further erosion of church traditions and customary images they hold dear. Uh, one figure was often described as looking like Darth Vader. Um, though to the author of this article, he says, it looks more to me like a Santarian, like a Santarin from Doctor Who. Uh, Mr. Banty, a university professor, this is the husband of the lady that was talking in the article, Thought, uh, thought his wife and all these critics were missing the point. He sought to provide a more historical context. What history, his wife interrupted. Would you let me finish, he said. I didn't interrupt you. What I love about this article is if you've ever been to Italy, this perfectly captures like a dialogue between people in Italy. And I think that the person writing this article was like, I'm going to throw that in, right? Uh, it says, his wife walked off in a huff well, he explained that he remembered this style of ceramics from his youth. And then he goes on to give the historic reasons why he was sure that they wanted to do something like this. Uh, uh, this may have seemed like a good idea 
at the time to whoever was in charge of it, although I'm sure they've definitely lost their job in the Vatican. But the fact is, there is nothing more unsettling than this thing that you become so accustomed to, especially around the holidays, and having that thing upended and shown to you to be something different. It's hard for us. We try each year as we talk about these things to look at the heart of them while, uh, while also even challenging the things that we like and want to be true about them. This morning, my son uh, was... Uh, I, he was sitting um, in my office, and um, we have this really big uh, sort of um, uh, like heirloom Bible, you know, that's there in the offices, and um, it's, you know, what we read from every day, all of us together, and, and, and he was looking through it, and he said, Dad, you should preach on this, and I was like, what? And he pointed to this one thing in Acts, it was in red, so that's how it stood out to him, and it said, it is better to give than to receive, and I was like, Tegan that's kind of crazy that you said that because, and I think he, he, he saw that and it jumped out to him and he was like, hey, it's Christmas. You got to give the sermon. I get it. I think you should talk about this. Okay. Because all kids know that these are the lessons we're supposed to be talking about on Christmas, right? It is better to give than to receive because you are so completely obsessed and totally consumed by the things that you want to receive. I said, Tegan, I don't know how to tell you this, man, but I literally just made the slide for one of my sermon points and this is it that Christmas is actually about receiving and not giving. And he was like, what? And I was like, uh, yeah, sorry. And uh, so, uh, that being said, uh, when we talk about love, and we talk about it in a month like this, what we talk about is how we are people who in this month celebrate what it is to truly love one another on this whole other level. If there's one thing I try to do it is give love and show love and be generous with these things because that is what we are meant to do now. And while there is absolutely nothing wrong with being generous, and it is very important that we do that, be generous people, the reason that we talk about love in the month of December is for a very different reason. And it is this. This is the month of all the months that we celebrate the love that we have received, not the love that we give. This is the month that we celebrate a love that has been given to us. Now, uh, we give gifts and we exchange things and we are generous with one another, hopefully because that's our way of celebrating, because it is true that if you have truly been given with generosity, if you have been blessed with abundance, if you have experienced gracious giving, then you cannot help but be generous with others. You cannot help but be, give that out to others. But make no mistake... Uh, if there is one thing that we are to focus on in a time like this, when we talk about what it means for God to love the world, it is this. Agape love is one that first and foremost we have to understand and recognize we have received from God. And in this month, what are we celebrating? We are celebrating that God gave us the greatest gift that he could ever give us. We're not celebrating how generous we are with each other. If there's one thing that I am to focus on, it is not even how generous I can be with the person next to me. It is asking the question as much as I can, 
have I received this from God? And am I truly recognizing, appreciating, understanding even more maybe how great this gift of God's generous love really is? Christmas is a time that is all about for us receiving God's love. He gave it to us in the most tangible way possible with his son Jesus when he was born in the manger. And that is why we celebrate a baby being born in a manger. Because a savior needed to come. Because sin exists in the world and in our hearts. And because the only way out is the savior that people were awaiting when Christ was born. God has been so generous with us. And this is the time that we celebrate that. And we ask ourselves this question, do I feel like someone who has received this abundant love of God? Do I live as someone who has received this abundant love of God? Do I love like someone who has received this abundant and gracious overflowing and overwhelming and completely undeserved love of God. If there's one thing that I misunderstood in my early years, I would even say, as a Christian, it was this idea. It was the idea that God cared more about how loving I could be than about me having received his love in the first place. I worked so hard, I tried so hard out of, out of more than anything guilt to try to be better, to do better, to love more because I believed that the more I did that, the more refined I was as a person, the more disciplined I became, the, the more generous and selfless I could I can make myself be, that the more God would be pleased with me. And yet as God brought people into my life who I tremendously respected, people who had clearly been like changed by him, people who clearly were filled with God's love, people who I wanted to be like, and those people would continually point me back to, uh, to this question is like, are you, are you more concerned with what you need to do with how you need to act, with how you need to live, with how you need to show yourself? Or are you more concerned? Have you, have, like, have, have you thought much recently about God's love for you? Because he wants you to know that love, and he wants you to experience it. And it is one that we, that we are called to literally focus on God's love for us. We receive this thing and as a result of it, we live differently. And so not only is, is uh, yes, Christmas is about receiving, as we say, but then what we read about in 1 John, as he goes on, is he elaborates on and he says, this is what it looks like then to be someone who has experienced the love of God. He says it's a person who freely gives that love away. John goes on, because agape love can only be given away. And, and the, act, the, the important word here is the word given. 
It cannot be traded. It cannot be sold. It cannot be exchanged for other goods and services or love of some other kind from some other person. This agape love we receive from God and this agape love we give freely to other people without expectation, without strings, without trying to accomplish something through giving them that love. We give it freely because we have received it freely. We read further in 1 John. This is actually a little bit before our passage in chapter 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us, not wor- let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, there are two fundamental things about agape love that are not true of any other love. The first is that this love only comes from God and that we cannot grow it or learn it, develop it, any way other than being connected to the Father. The second is that this love can only be given away without expectation of having something in return. This is one of the hardest things for us to wrap our mind around because the way that we understand love to work is that it's pretty transactional. We, we look at it like a commodity, in fact. Just like I only have so much money in my wallet or in my bank account, I only have so much love that I can give people. And you're telling me that I'm supposed to love everybody? I'm supposed to love, well, hold on a second. Listen, okay, this is like, like, like hang on a second, Jesus. Let's just, let's, let's think this through here, okay? You, you seem to not be very good at math because uh, if I'm supposed to love everyone, but I know that most people on earth uh, are not going to be able to love me back, I'm just giving out love left and right. That's, that's not going to last very long. I'm not going to have much. So doesn't it make a lot more sense that I show love to those who can love me in return? Doesn't it make more sense that I, you know, gravitate towards those who I know will appreciate the way that I love them and will love me in return? Likewise, because you wouldn't want me to run out of love. You wouldn't want me to be empty of love. You wouldn't want me to start to feel, you know, tired and and worn out and filled with despair and discouragement. You wouldn't want me to be cynical and and, and hate life and the world and people, right? Which is what's going to happen if I have to go give all this love away and not get any in return. And so we just assume that what he actually means when he talks about love is that it works the same as money. You, 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 you give it, but, uh, but you also need to receive it, and, uh, and you can't just give it all away. You've got to have some kind of a plan. Love is nothing like money. It doesn't work that way. That agape love that is given to us freely by God is given away freely to others. 
This, the greatest, most important love there is, is not a love that we get to bargain with and trade with and give expecting to receive. One of the hardest things is when we realize that situations in which we thought we were loving simply for the sake of of the other person, when we realize uh, sometimes that that wasn't true. Usually that comes when we don't get what we expect in return, right? It's like, it's like I, I, I expect to receive this thing. I expected them to treat me this way. One of the, death, one of the signs of the, sort of the dying of a relationship, even in a marriage, is, the, is when you begin to see this purely transactional view of like being nice to each other, right? Of, of love. What started out once as like, I love you, I love you, I love you, and it doesn't matter what happens, and it doesn't matter whether you have a bad day or not, it's fine, I still love you no matter what, turns into uh, a transactional relationship of I'm nice in these ways, you're nice in these ways, I love in these ways, you love in these ways, and if I don't feel that in return, then this doesn't work for us. Uh, one of the craziest things about the way that Jesus loved people, absolutely crazy, his critics could not figure it out or stand it or understand it, was why does he keep loving all of these terrible people who clearly cannot possibly appreciate him as much as the rest of us? His disciples thought that. And it wasn't until they were following him much longer and they even began to preach the gospel themselves more and more that they began to realize that that is the reason that he loved us as well. You see, we start out as believers, people who have received God's love, oftentimes making the mistake of thinking that, that we are still better than other people. And we only come to realize through growing and recognizing what's going on within ourselves that we are no better than any other person that we see. And that means that God gave us his love, not because we deserved it or because he thought that this person's worthy of it, uh, but because God freely gives his love, and we do the same thing. This is also the season that we are generous, but that's because we've experienced God's love and we can give it away. Agape love is known for being one that uh, only comes from God and can be given away freely to others. When we talked in our series about love, we said that as these headwaters of this river of love sort of fill you up, that God's love completes you in a way that nothing else can. And because of that, you're able to do things that you can't do without it. Uh, the two things that we talked about specifically were that um, um, when God loves you and you fully realize what that means, then you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be afraid of because God says, what can be against you? If I'm for you, who can be against you? Answer, nobody. So you have nothing to fear if you have God's love. And the other thing is that you have nothing to lose. So you have nothing to fear and you have nothing to lose. Why don't you hold back in loving other people? Why don't you have to be transactional in your relationships? Why don't you have to think and weigh every decision, every person, every interaction, everything, what's fair, what's right, what will it accomplish? Because... You don't have anything to lose because God's love is so big that it is more than enough of what you need. The truth is God's love fills us up so much that we can give and give and give and give and give and never run out. But the love that we get from other people doesn't work that way. 
And so there are, there are those of us who, who believe, who, who maybe even are, are followers of Jesus and seeking to live for him, who still think that what that means, first and foremost, is that we get up in the morning and we spend each day working as hard as we can to be loving to other people because it makes God pleased with us and proud of us without first asking the question, where does that love come from? Am I living in this love of the Father? Have I, am I receiving this love from Him? Am I centered on Him? Am I asking God, um, give me this love today before I give it out to others? And what we read about here in 1 John is very simple. It is the fact that um, if you are filled with this love and you're experiencing it, there is, there is no way that you can contain it. You're not going to measure and count and keep score and keep track. Forgiveness will be easier. Generosity will be easier because you already have everything that you need. We are to be a people who feel like we are living in such tremendous abundance that we can recklessly love, that we can recklessly give, that we can irresponsibly love. that we can exorbitantly love because the love that we receive from the Father is so great. As we spend some time in worship, um, there are those of us that I think really need to be able to sit for a moment and simply reflect upon the love of God. The great, tremendous love that God has for you he loves you more than anyone else ever could. He loves you fully and completely. Don't worry. There's not anything that you can do to earn this love that he has for you. And God is the only one who doesn't need something from you and whose love is not based on that thing. If you need a reminder, proof, that is what we celebrate in December. That is what we remember in this month. For some of us, as we reflect on this, um, we reflect maybe as those who have not yet even received God's love and have, and have, and have had um, this uh, thought about, about Jesus and about following him and about living in him, but have assumed that that just means you come to church and you try to do good things and you try to read the Bible and you try to have good habits and you try to get back into all that stuff and that that's how that happens. But that isn't how that happens. That without an actual relationship in Jesus and trusting in him, that you cannot have and experience this agape love and receive it from the Father freely. So as we pray and as we prepare for worship, we prepare to respond to God in either of these ways. Would you guys pray with me? Father, there, I, I know that there are some here this morning, whether in person or online, God, who have not yet chosen to put their faith and their trust in Christ. That when we talk about coming to church or uh, reading about God or learning about God or trying to be more disciplined or trying to get better or trying to do better or trying to be better, grow up more, get past the bad habits or just um, 
be around these good things like church and church people more, God, that it just becomes more and more apparent, Lord, that that's not what it's about to live in you. Father, um, for, for anyone here who has not yet chosen to actually trust and follow Christ with their life, for anyone at home who has not yet made that decision, Lord, as I pray these words, would they pray after me um, and repeat these words, Lord, to you, and in doing so become your child. Father, I know that the problems that are out there in this world that we deal with constantly are not because of other people and other things and other systems, that they ultimately are because of sin, and that sin, the same sin that infects all that stuff out there is the sin that lives in my own heart. And um, Father, I confess that that sin is there And yet I know that you love me, that you created me because you're a God of love. And I know that you have made a way for me to be forgiven of that sin, Lord, through your son. And so I I repent, I confess, I apologize, God. And I ask, would you forgive me? I accept the grace that comes in your son and I follow Jesus not just today, not just tomorrow, not just up until Christmas, but for all eternity. God, um, as I seek to follow you, it is not about my effort, it is not about my discipline, it is not about my, uh, my impressive learning. It is about understanding that you're my father and I am your child, that you love me unconditionally, And God, would you begin to conform me and make me into your image to grow up looking like you and being like you and acting like you, unable to contain the love that you have filled me with, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.